The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, is there an echo in here? Yes, there is. We'll kick off the new year with Matt, Maya, and Mr. Fisk and wrap up the year that was. Rodrigo and Matthew are visiting old friends while Stephen hangs out at the corner of Pine and Merrimack, but we're all asking the same question. Who'd win if the Beyonder fought Ric Flair? It's a tough call, but we're up to the challenge, and you're invited to play along because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 1057 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. We'll be checking, uh, taking a look at Daredevil, parts of a whole later in the show. Also this week, the new Echo show kicks off on Disney Plus. So there may be a, a, a reason why we're doing that here. But uh, yeah, here we are. And, and welcome back, everybody. Um, I have discovered that 80s arcades are pretty cool. If you can find a retro arcade in your in your town. By all means, go to it. One opened up here that they've been working on for good Lord. Who knows how long it is. It's old video games, uh, arcade games and a bar and, you know, bar food type stuff. And uh, the youngest hates going out of the house. But we're like, we're going to go eat lunch at this place. and You're going to with us and you're going to enjoy it. And he ended up enjoying it. It was a lot of fun. Um, And I've got a friend from high school who is currently refurbishing a bunch of arcade games so he can open up an 80s arcade. But a uh, man, Ooh. if you want to go and play yourself and I, you know, I've got the, the arcade one ups machines here and I've built my own, uh, Picade system and that's really cool, but there's still something about going and everybody playing games together and seeing who can get high scores. Uh, the youngest got mm-hmm. fifth in, uh, what is it? Silver lane bowling or whatever it is. He's got the fifth spot <laughs> on that. I took the top spot in miss Pac-Man, uh, so yeah, it's fun. Uh, the only thing that it was a disappointment was the place that we went to, not my friend from high school's place. They could stand to try to do some refurbishing on those games because sometimes you put the token in and it doesn't take the credit. And a lot of the screens were really, really dim. And, yeah. uh, and so that was, that was kind of harsh, but, uh, if you guys get a chance and you've got them in your areas, go for it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. There's some yeah, really, go ahead. It's really well. That's okay. We have one downtown here that is really good, and they have uh, a working four-player Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, we played. Four yeah, we played right. Ninja Turtles, uh, the four-player of that, and that was fun. Um, my wife was the last turtle standing, and then we played an Avengers four-player one where I played the Vision. It was Vision, Iron Man, Hawkeye, Captain America, Iron and Captain Man. America. Yep. yep, that's those were the four. So yeah, yep. we played those, and then. And then once in a while the wasp would fire through and it'd be yeah. like wasp. yeah so yeah it was fun so if you guys get a chance have you been to those uh rodrigo do you have any of those i'm yeah. sure you do in yeah. seattle yeah and there's actually a fair amount of those in seattle like it, it just really jives with the culture here mm-hmm. um i yeah i we went to one where uh for example they had like the old simpsons arcade game so my wife and i got to play it they had uh they also had uh, Street Fighter Three machines. So I got to play that a little bit, and they had um, a competitive Pac-Man table. Oh, cool! Where 
Yeah, what? where four of you sit mm -hmm. and each of your Pac-Men is a different color. And instead of like trying to eat ghosts, you're trying to eat each other. Um, and you know, you just kind of waka waka your way around until you know you get a pill and then you're you're it. So everybody has to run away from you. It's it's pretty fun. Yeah, nice. Very nice, very nice. Uh well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you are ready for an exciting 2024. We're going to kick some things off with some brand new reviews of comics arriving in stores this week. From Boom Studios, it's Pine and Merrimack number one. This is from Kyle Starks with Fran Galen. I want to ask you guys a question. Is it is it 100% necessary for the art to match with the vibe of the, of the story that's being told? necessary no but i feel like it's definitely a plus i mean it it increases my appreciation of something because there's a there's a run of uh, invaders that i love that has really great storytelling but the art is by frank springer and everything is just bizarre to look at yeah so frank galen does some great art in here except it's very loose and almost cartoony in in the way it is and yet this is a, a it's a detective story uh you've got uh i i forget what her name is it's like Lea, uh lania i think is how you say her name she's a former homicide detective and she met her husband who's a former mma uh fighter and they ended up getting married and moving to a smaller town where they opened up a detective uh place private detective uh business at the corner of pine and merrimack and they are on the look for a missing child and her art is kind of loose and cartoony. So when they get into the ballroom, uh, the barroom brawl that you find in many of these kind of tales, it works, but it's weird work in, in how it works together. It almost feels a little bit too silly, uh, but it, it's still really, really good. It's really, really violent. Uh, but Kyle Starks, for those of you who don't know, uh, has been working on the, um, uh, What's his name? Black. Um, Radiant Black. Radiant Black. He's been doing that and some other stuff. So I like Carl Stark's uh, writing. And so this is really cool. As I said, it's a story about uh, husband and wife detective team. He's kind of the muscle. She's kind of the brains. And they are looking for a missing child. And uh, that you barely get into the story, into issue one. It's basically let's track down some clues, bust some heads, crack wise, and do some uh, cool things. It's a pretty fun book. I like it a lot. I thought the art was a little distracting in parts, but uh, otherwise I thought it worked. Uh, at least the art is consistent from panel to panel, which I really appreciate. Same way with the color scheme. I, I, I like that as well. And of course, the story is very, very good. Uh, so if you're looking for a detective type story, thriller type story, uh, Pine and Merrimack number one is out this week from Boom Studios. And I'm going to give it three and a half slices of meatloaf. So there you go. Uh, also, let's stay with Boom Studios, Matthew, and see what's going on with the Ranger Academy. Is this the final issue in the miniseries? I don't believe so. And I'm not sure if Ranger Academy is a miniseries. I think it may be an ongoing. I initially thought it was six issue limited, but okay. this issue does end on a cliffhanger, which is actually kind of interesting. Uh, if you haven't been following Ranger Academy, basically it says, hey, if you're a Power Ranger, you probably had to go somewhere. And so let's pretend that that place was the X-Men or, you know, a Frogwarts kind of things. So 
essentially, our story has been following four of the recruits. Uh, essentially, one of them is, of course, the weirdo, the outsider, the girl who wasn't supposed to be there. And then, of course, we have the standard group of people around her. There's the perfect girl and the weird guy and the crazy guy. But when you break it down, you're actually looking at this story in kind of a Power Rangers universe. And I think that's what's most confusing to me because they end up on planet Chromia. And Chromia, I swear, is a name that I've heard before in Power Rangers lore, but I can't seem to track it right. down. But the reason they're on planet Chromia, and this whole episode actually reminds me, uh, Rodrigo has been running a Lancer game uh, for a few months now secretly behind behind the things. It reminds me of that because Chromia is basically this moon with a population of two where you can go and be stupid and possibly explode as you try to morph for the first time and find out what color ranger you are. That's fun. Yeah. And the whole point of this is, you know, we've seen all of them are wearing their uniforms, but they have hair colors that might lead you to think, hey, this girl with the red hair who seems like the leader, I wonder if she's the Red Ranger. And this this clown, the fun kid who's kind of wacky, I wonder if he's the Black Ranger. And so our, our main character, oh gosh, what is her name? Let's say Ed. No. <laughs> In any case, the main character that we have been following, <laughs> stay with me. I promise you, I'm I'm here. I'm looking right at the comic book and my brain is not working. Sage, thank <laughs> you. Sage has blue hair. And I'm like, okay, clearly something is going to happen here. And we're going to be like, up, oh, Sage is going to be the Blue Ranger. Blue Rangers, you know, they're the second in command. They're the ones who take over when the Red Ranger is like, hey, I have to go off and do my thing. And now, Blue Ranger, you're in charge. So... As they all try to morph, they find that it's related to an emotional state. And then we see Sage specifically able to speak to one of the Bandorian monks. Bandorian is also an in-joke, but the monks speak only in word balloons of their particular color. There's a red one, a blue one, a yellow one, a pink one, and a black one. And the five monks are talking to her, and she doesn't understand what's going on. And then she tries to morph. And I'm not saying that blue is not her color. I'm just saying that it's kind of a shocking moment, because if you know anything about Green Rangers historically, you'll also know that maybe more is up with stage than we think. So here's the thing, and this, I think, is a big caveat if you're not really steeped in Power Rangers lore, this really just feels like Percy Jackson with a different hat. Or to some degree, you know, it feels like those those arcs of X-Men where we're heavily into the school aspect of it. Kitty Pride is here and hopes she survives the experience. If you have been following Boom's Power Rangers, or if you're somebody who's kind of into Power Rangers or Super Sentai, it kind of steps above that. But it also does it in such a way that sometimes it feels like homework. So I'm not sure whether you'll be happier if you come in really, really steeped in the lore or if you come in just blind and you're like, hey, cool, uh, Hermione has red hair now and she's a, she's a Power Ranger. But 
I will say this, three and a half slices of meatloaf for Ranger Academy number four. A whole half star of that is for the surprising moment at the end because it did catch me off guard. I did not expect any of that to happen, but definitely I will be back for, and I think it is an ongoing. I'm not sure if it changed from a limited to an ongoing, but I will be back for at least the rest of the first arc just to see how this all shakes down and what it means. All right. Very cool. Uh, Rodrigo, I've been meaning to ask if you have been reading the Gargoyle series since you're a huge fan of the, the Disney afternoon show and we are already up to issue number 11. And so, uh, you're taking a look at it this week from dynamite entertainment. Yeah, I have been not keeping up very well. Um, just because I'm very bad at keeping up with comics. Uh, it's, it's really gotten to the point where like most of my entertainment, like some sort of, uh, small electronic creature is like hey a new episode of that thing you like is out but like i don't have anything like that for comics so i keep forgetting yeah to go find comics yeah um one of the fundamental problems that comics is facing right now especially as platforms decline um but uh yeah so i'm trying to catch up on this latest issue is i mean it's definitely a gargoyles issue um here we have uh brooklyn broadway and lexington together again uh along with uh lexington's son i think um and they are they're not so this is very much a um like a middle story comic. You kind of see what the main antagonist is up to. Um, you see that like, there's a lot of exposition because uh, uh, for example, um, uh, Renard is going to die. You know, finally he's been like an absolutely ancient man, uh, but not like magical ancient, like your Macbeth's. Um, and uh he's trying to figure out they're trying to figure out where his fortune is going to go um and the 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 twist there is kind of interesting um so you you're seeing that you're seeing what the bad guys up to but nothing is really resolved in this issue we're clearly leading to a um clearly leading to a big climax uh for all these characters both like fighty fighty and emotional right mm-hmm. um you see uh, Elisa get chewed out for not telling people about the gargoyles now that it's basically become public knowledge. Um, and uh, But again, you see that it's leading somewhere. Um, it's okay. You know, it's like, it's not a super exciting issue. Uh, it's a somewhat confusing issue to jump into because the bad guys are all wearing gargoyle masks and not like generic gargoyle masks but all the bad guys are wearing like this guy is wearing a like hudson mask and this guy is wearing an angela mask and this guy is wearing a goliath mask so you know there are there are panels where i'm looking at it and i'm like okay brain i don't like you and you don't like me but you have to help me figure out who's punching who (laughs) in this panel yeah and then it's like okay i see like a tie so this is like one of the mobsters wearing a uh, Brooklyn mask and not, you know, the other way around or whatever. 
Um, so that gets a little confusing. Um, but it's fun. It's a gargoyles book, you know, like the Dracons are involved. The glasses is there. You see both Owen and Vogel in the same room, which is always a treat. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's the gargoyles thing. I like it. It's good yeah, times. I'm I mean, good. it's go ahead. Oh, I'll give it three and a half slices of meatloaf. It's, you know, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, it um, is uh, in continuity because yeah. uh, Greg Wiseman is the is the writer of this, as he was with the uh, with the original animated series. So everything you're reading is just the continuation of the of the animated series. Yeah. And it's just so smart for Disney to let him do this because he's basically just writing the eventual show that they might put on Disney Plus, you know, mm-hmm. like one way mm-hmm. or another, even if they don't do it. Like they they just have that available. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, all right, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. And if you want to pick up any of these books, because they're all fine books, we have links in the show notes that will take you to our Amazon affiliate link. And in the Amazon affiliate link, of course, you can buy the comics digitally, read them on your favorite uh, e-device, and then uh, a little bit comes back our way and keeps this show going week after week, month after month. And also... We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash major spoilers. And this is the part where we give some shout outs to some very cool people. This week, we're sending our shout outs to Heck 487, HEC 487, our newest associate producer, and to Frack, who is our newest silver member. So thank you so much, Heck 487 and Frack. Uh, we appreciate uh, everything that you've done to uh, support us and welcome aboard to our patreon feed where you get access to the major spoilers podcast pre-show where we talk a little bit about twilight imperium this week um and a bunch of other things so you can check that out and find out more and see all the extras that you get when you head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers all right uh he was a guy who could not see she was a woman that could not hear. And when they got together, it was murder. Uh, Daredevil parts of a hole by David Mack and Joe Quesada over at Marvel comics. This was uh, quite a few years ago. This is the first appearance. Yeah, yeah. The trade was released. The um, series came out in 98. The trade was oh, not was released until. Oh, okay. Yeah. The trade thought, wasn't released until 2015. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Echo has been around. This is uh, her introduction to the Marvel Universe. Also, this week on Disney Plus, uh, Echo debuts. I think it's the third or the fourth, something like that. But it's going to be a Thursdays. Um, I think is like Disney Plus new episode. Ah, day. okay, all right. So every and, and it's not a very long series. I think they're releasing the first three, and then oh, I'm sorry. There's only five episodes in the series, and uh, oh. they're going to play the whole series the entire month of January. So by the end of the month. You will have caught up because January is a fifth week this year. And so you're going to get all, all of the good stuff. Uh, but this is the story of how they met. And just as a broad general sense of this story, this feels like when Matt Murdock and Electra first met, uh, I don't know if I'm thinking of the Frank Miller story, uh, Electra assassin or what, but I just get a lot of vibes of, these two are very much in the same kind of vein as far as the overall theme of the story goes. Did you guys get that or no? I think, I think yes. And I think the reason you did that is because the 2003 Daredevil movie cribbed some of this 
mm. and attaches it to Matt's relationship with Electra. Uh, well, specifically, some of the meet cute moments in the part where he, you know, lights his symbol on fire. Um, well, also, um, this is very much trying to do a Miller, like first person narration for a mm-hmm, lot of the time. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, that that itself probably feels familiar too. Yeah, yeah. the The introduction of the uh, I'm going to coin a term, the murder pixie dream girl is something that keeps cropping up for daredevil. And so I feel like Electra did it after the black widow. And I think Electra did it better than the black widow, but I definitely agree with you. There are big echoes of Electra here. And honestly, Electra was, you know, 20 years in the past when this book came out. So Having it be just almost a straightforward retelling wouldn't even be a bad thing, but I feel like what they did kind of frustrates me because it really does hit a lot of those same notes in a lot of those same ways. Mm -hmm. And of course they have a fight on, on, on a seesaw. I think the thing that is going to be most interesting to see what they do in the echo series is they kind of did. So this is the thing that's frustrating is after you read parts of a whole, you realize that the whole echo storyline is in the Hawkeye Christmas special from or the Christmas series from what last year, 2021 or 2022. 2021. Yeah, it is. The, her whole story is there, including the part where she realizes, Oh, I've been used by uh, Wilson Fisk and she goes and shoots him in an alley. And it's like, oh, okay, so what is Echo going to go? Where is it going to go from here when they've already used up all the the quote-unquote cool bits in a totally different show that didn't feature Daredevil? Um, so that's going to be interesting to see how that how that plays out. Yeah, is there a lot more Echo out there to to read? Like, I... When I first encountered this character in the Disney Plus stuff, I thought that I remembered the character, but I was actually conflating it with a completely different character. So I I I don't know that I've ever read anything else that has Echo in it. Echoes, um honestly, there's this arc and then she pops up again briefly and then she doesn't really show up again until New Avengers at which point she becomes an Avenger uh, actually kind of by accident because they were trying to have Daredevil sneakily be Ronin under the mask, and then they couldn't get the rights to do that. And so Maya Lopez Echo turned out to be wearing the Ronin suit and pretending to be uh, Daredevil. And then the last thing I remember seeing her in, she is the last uh, bearer of the Phoenix Force during Jason Aaron's run of Avengers, maybe six months ago, a year ago. I'm trying to see where her last appearance is. I mean, she's in a lot of stuff, um, but there's just, there's just not, oh yeah, the last 2021 Heroes Reborn, uh, one through seven, it looks like was the last time that she was there. I mean, yeah, that would be like the, the tail end of the Daredevil, not the Daredevil, the Avengers stuff, Avengers Volume 8. And then I want to say when the when the TV series came out, 
they did like earlier this this year or late last year they did a six issue limited with like Phil Noto art but I didn't actually read it so yeah Daredevil you got to appreciate Daredevil and Iron Fist like the comics for just like constantly filling up the Marvel universe with like pretty cool street level characters right so then that way when you get somebody in that wants to do like a big street epic or something like uh you know the capital cities of heaven or whatever it's like you could just bring a whole mm-hmm. bunch of these like yeah street level characters that don't get much play or whatever and it's like oh no oh no so this person has to fight echo now in this context that's difficult you know yeah no and so that's you know with the gang war uh story arc that's going on right now it would be great to see her pop up right because it is all these street level things uh where they're trying to deal with i don't know nonsense stuff um yeah, basically the kingpin has been deposed and all of the minor guys are fighting for turf. Yeah. And so this would be the a good owl? time for the owl, uh, diamondback, black yeah. Mariah, the enforcers, nice. Mr. Negative, all of those. All right. if, all of, if all of those jerks are there, I might actually have to look into this. Yeah, yeah. I kind of love, I love the kingpins like terrible, like, like I love all his terrible lackeys that have more visual personality than he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because they're actual, yeah, like, Doc- they're actual like, supervillains, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Octopus and the Owl, I think, were in this briefly. But uh, the Owl, I think, is still in play. Mm. Uh, the, last, the last issue that I read, the Spider-Woman crossover, several people have already been knocked out of the gang war. Oh, nice. uh, Big Ben, who fought Luke Cage once back in 1972, sadly did not make it to mm. round two. Yeah. Anyway, back to parts of a whole. Uh, Daredevil is doing Daredevil things. Wilson Fisk apparently knows that Matt Murdock is the Daredevil at this point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so he convinces Maya who again, uh, can't hear, but she can mimic anything that she sees or feels or whatever. And, um, he convinces her that the Daredevil killed her dad like 50 years ago, not 50 years ago, but it's been a long time. And uh, coincidentally, Maya and Matt Murdock meet in uh, their civilian form and they quickly start having the hots for one another until they finally realize, oh, no, you're the daredevil and oh, no, you're the echo. And now we must fight to the death until Maya figures out that, oh, no, I've been played this entire time. There's some good fight scenes in here. Um, I do like the issue where. And it's, I don't know if it's because I had to get a guest artist in for it. Uh, this would be issue, uh, 12 of daredevil mm-hmm. where they've got a whole different artist, uh, in here, but it's, these two are fighting through the hell's kitchen, but we're seeing all of these other side stories of just ordinary citizens and how this mm-hmm. fight impacts and changes their lives. Like one guy is going to commit suicide, but, uh, this other guy that was going to kill somebody, uh, gets knocked off a building by their fight and lands on top of the car. The guy doesn't decide to kill himself, but at the same time, a flyer flies through and uh, it's a wanted poster for this guy that just fell on the hood of his car for $200,000, which gets him out of his money woes. And good thing he has a gun and a phone so he can call the police and collect the reward. And, you know, there's those kinds of things. So that was an interesting story, uh, just kind of a breakout. And I think it's 
I don't know. It feels like it's because uh, Joe Casada was not available to do art, so we need to do something else for this issue. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it. It also it stands out for me because Rob Haynes, who did that issue, mm-hmm. is really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's absolutely it's it's like the polar opposite of Casada. It's mm-hmm. slick and it's it's very looks simple. Like the lines. colors are done very flat. Very yeah, a very simple line, but also it would be a disturbingly simple line. I would say it is similar like to what we that. see. It's something that we see sometimes in books from Image Comics. Like uh, it reminds me of Ice Cream Man as far as the art goes in that particular issue. Yeah, I can see that. Um, it's not quite as like clean as a Dan Mora or a, uh, like, a Oh, who's the guy who did all this stuff with, uh, Mark Wade? Uh, no, not doc Shaner, the other guy who has a similar art style, but it's really, really graphic and really dark lines. And Mm. I don't know. Anyway, it reminds me a little bit of that only with a, like a, a lighter edge and a completely different color palette. And, I'm going to be frank with you, uh, but I'll be earnest if you'd rather. Is the only issue in this run, in this collection, that I can stand to look at. Really? Yeah, it is the only issue that is not just a grotesquerie to me. Because Maya Lopez, throughout this book, we keep hearing Matt talk about, oh, she's pretty. And I'm like, she looks like Bugs Bunny if he had the mumps. Yeah, but he's blind. I understand that he's blind and I'm just like, I, 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 I just, I, I don't know. I, there's a, I don't know. It I feels very it much like a nineties. It is a very nineties art style. Uh, this is very yeah, typical very what you would find nineties art style. Yeah, no, but this is something that I would see in, uh, this is a, a style that we saw in a bunch of DC comics, like Nightwing had this style and, um, but again, that's early nineties. Yeah. That's yeah. like 94, 95. This yeah. is late nineties. It's all like a completely different universe. No, it's the nineties. It's all, it's all in the nineties. So it, it, to me, it feels of that, of that time period. And I wasn't necessarily uh, put off by it. Um, mainly because number one, it's, it's consistent. And number two, it just feels, it has that vibe throughout. And so that's why when, you get to the issue that is with a different artist. You're like, ah, this is a different story that they're telling. And there's a good reason why you have to switch the art out here. Uh, and so it made visual sense uh, to me. Rodrigo, did you not like the art or did you like the art or are you indifferent? Um, I, I ended up liking it. Um, uh, cause at first I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. really like it. Um, I think that, it's uh you know it's a little bit and i think it it, like it's a little bit ugly and i think it's like ugly on purpose Mm -hmm. um especially like some characters just look absolutely terrible um but again i think that's on purpose what ended up bringing it around for me is that there are bits of this that are sort of like expressionistic Mm -hmm. are just like here is what this character is experiencing while they're like playing the piano and stuff and it's like you don't see them in a room you see like swirling images and like weird text and stuff like that it's like very like uh it has like kind of this like late 80s vertigo kind of mm-hmm. thing going on it i i wouldn't i don't think anybody would look at it and confuse it that way but it seems like uh you know an extrapolation from that a a 
like somebody looking at that and doing it in their own style. So I enjoyed that. And unfortunately, you see that less and less and less as the book goes on. Yeah. And it's sort of like the plot becomes more important than the character's feelings or or introducing you to how the characters see the world. So that tends to go away almost completely by the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one thing that I I really got a kick out of. And one of the disappointments that I had in reading, reading this in a digital format is that I'm only seeing it page to page. Now, of course, I could turn my iPad sideways, but it's really cool because you get like what feels like a double page spread of Daredevil telling his story in this particular style. And then you turn the page and suddenly you've got Echo telling her side of the story or telling her story. And it's, you know, different style, different theme. And it just works really, really well when you see those two flipping back and forth between the viewpoint of the story which I really got a kick out of, but they, again, they didn't continue to do it throughout the entire book, which was disappointing. And also the parts, like you were mentioning Rodrigo, where you're into Maya's world and everything is crayons and colored pencils. Uh, that's also something that doesn't run throughout the entire issue or the entire series. And I don't know. I also felt kind of let down by that, that they couldn't keep it up. And I don't know if that is a failure of, writing or a failure of art because I don't know if Joe Casada is a fast artist or if he's one of those uh Jim Lee types where he is slow. So yeah, you run into these he's Jim Lee things slow. where you get like, you know, he's only able to do one out of six issues or something like that. Um so I don't know if it was the writer having to say, okay, well we need to do this in order to make sure he stays on on pace or anything like that. But that was the kind of By the, the time we get to issue 15 Quesada is essentially absent from pencils. Mm. Uh, if you look at those last couple of issues, it's mostly David Ross mm. and he's kind of, he's, he's doing something that evokes what was happening at the beginning, but he's also a, com, you know, a completely different style of artist. Yeah. And I yeah. feel like he's, he's trying to ape what a Quesada would have done, but it's also not his deal. You know, it's not yeah. his, style it's like stylistically he's trying to ape somebody else mm-hmm. and that's, and I that's feel like... just yeah that's just classic like uh big two stuff right where like mm-hmm. at best you're gonna get a, a, a second or third artist and I, again your best like the best possible option this artist is like aware and trying to maintain the themes of the piece that were started by a different artist, but it's still not the same artist. Mm-hmm. So it's going to look different. And if you try to look at uh, this thing as a whole, um, you uh-huh. uh, it you lose those themes, right? If you if you're looking at it as a, as a complete piece, you're like, what like what is it saying? And it sort of stops saying something halfway through. Yeah. yeah. Or it starts saying something a little different. Yeah, and yeah, something else, yeah. That's not necessarily a bad thing, especially, you know, if we're, tr- sure. if we're trying to take this as a, a real consistent six-issue arc. But I also feel like it isn't a real consistent six-issue arc, and I feel like it's kind of... I, I feel like they're really playing by the seat of their pants, and... Nothing wrong with that. I mean, some of the best comics that I've ever read were just written on the fly. You know, I don't think Steve Gerber probably sat down and wrote a detailed outline in his life, but he also had really good instincts on how to throw a comic book together. So 
I feel like my biggest complaint, and this is my complaint with a lot of post-Frank Miller Daredevil, is it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it's it's exactly Miller, but it's never not mm-hmm. Miller. Absolutely. And that I think it's the frustrating part. You know, if you've ever I, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, Hell's Kitchen, the neighborhood of Hell's Kitchen really doesn't exist in the way that the the comics show it anymore. It's actually uh, the Clinton neighborhood. It's very heavily gentrified. Oh, yeah, it's, it's like been a, gentrified for a beautiful, long time. It's like a high, it's like a high rent neighborhood. And so, you know, the first of all, they're dealing with the 1980s. So they're trying to give us this filthy 42nd Street that doesn't exist anymore. But there's also just a real vibe here. And I think Stephen called it at the very beginning of we're going to make fetch happen again and we're going to do echo and echo is totally not electra you guys but yes what is going on with electra at this time is she is she disappeared because i know there was that frank miller assassin run in 86 right uh, but i don't know what happened after that with electra if she was just a recurring in the daredevil series or if she is out of the picture because it's very weird that you introduce a character that that fills the same role that Electra does in this series. Well, Electra in 98 had actually transitioned over. She had her own ongoing uh, with Mike Deodato art, and they were playing her as a straightforward superhero. Mm. They were having Electra hang around and be one of the street level guys with your Shang-Chi's and your Power Man's and your Iron Fist's. Literally, I think Shang-Chi and Power Man and Iron Fist all, you know, tried to punch her. But at that point in time, if you'll recall, uh, during the events of Marvel versus DC, she was also, for some reason, one of Marvel's popular characters because she had that big fight with Catwoman. And she ended up being one of the characters in the big amalgam book where, for some reason, Catwoman and Daredevil and Elektra were somehow amalgamated into two women. Uh, with three eyes between them. But so, yeah, at this point they had made Electra a straightforward hero. So maybe they were trying to have somebody who was still the, you know, the uh, evil girl who tempts the hero with her evilness. Yeah. Now, now that I'm thinking, now that I'm looking at it, this, this series is a Marvel Knights imprint. Mm -hmm. And so what was going on at this time was Marvel comics had just filed chapter 11 bankruptcy And so what they did was they contracted out Black Panther, Punisher, Daredevil, and Inhumans to Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti's event comics. So if Elektra was doing her own thing in Marvel, that might explain why we don't see that here and that these guys are just doing whatever they're doing with this, with this, uh, with this series. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, it really does feel again, it does feel like we are, we're trying to get an Electra Daredevil story here, Frank Miller story here, including as Rodrigo said, the a lot, you know, most of the first two or three issues are inner monologue type stuff, which I don't mind. I, I rather kind of dig it. Uh, and you can see, as Rodrigo said, echoes of of this story in both the Daredevil um Netflix series as well as the Hawkeye series. So I guess I'm kind of interested to see this echo series this week to see, well, what are they going to do now? Because 
the as far as origin stories go, this they've already kind of used up all the good stuff from from this book. And so there are other echo appearances. So either they're going to be inspired by that or they're going to go off in a completely different direction. I mean, expect uh, it's going to be a completely different direction because everything that she does in the comic after she resolves her whole arc of Kingpin told me Daredevil was a bad guy is really tied up in other people's stories. And after, you know, this arc and after we wrap this up, she kind of becomes like uh, what I refer to as the team book character. Like your vision, yeah, you never you see the vision in the solo book. Yeah. Always in, yeah. yeah, always in a team book, always going like, yes, Marvel Man is right. So I think they almost have to do something new because everything she's done after that is all tied up in various crossovers or, hey, here's a new launch of Avengers or another new launch of Avengers or another, another launch of Avengers. What what did you think of this series overall as a whole, Rodrigo? Um, I thought it was okay. Um, again, I'm reading through it and it's like, it's, it's incredibly wordy. Right. And I'm trying to be like, okay, they're going for something. They're trying to, you know, they're, they're doing a Frank Miller who was doing a like hard boiled detective like thing. Right. So they're, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get us into these characters heads. But I thought at some points it was just, there was just too much text especially when we get into the kingpin's head mm-hmm. and then it's just like walls of text and Can I it's just like say that I do not ever need to see a freudian excuse of I was a poor little fat guy and that's why I murder people yeah so because, oh god hey let me let me absolutely uh trampoline off of that into something that is very uh, active in this book and uh yeah here's a here's a segment oh, called ableism yeah ableism in 1990s comics i guess um yeah. yeah it's it's really a thing right so daredevil already kind of has some issues with that no. in that uh, he kind of exists in like this quantum uncertainty state of like he's a very capable blind man but also his powers make it so that he's not actually really blind. Like he's someone who can see a person basically through sonar. It depends on how they're writing it. He's someone who can read a paper, like a piece of paper because he can feel the ink indentation. Right. So um, he doesn't need to read Braille. He can just read. Uh, So it's like a lot of the time it's like, well, does daredevil even count as being blind because he has all these things to mitigate it. Like when Echo comes in, that stuff seems even worse because Echo's deaf and they are like, she has this ability to copy anything physical that she can see. And that's why she doesn't uh, speak with the same sort of affectation that a lot of deaf and hard of hearing Americans have, right? Which that in itself seems like well here's this pretty lady we don't want to have her talking weird so here's this like mechanical like marvel comics magic reason as to why she doesn't sound like that 
At which point they introduce someone who does sound like that. They look like an absolute monster <laughs> and yeah. they make a, they make like, it, they make a huge point of being like, this guy is bald and has hemorrhoids. Mm-hmm. And I'm and pretty sure like, they use the R word several times in this. Do movie. they? Oh yeah. I, I think so. Yes. At least, at least twice. Okay. I'm almost certain of it. That I do not know when that flipped. So in the nineties, it might have actually still been okay to oh, yeah, yeah. put that in a comic. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I I'm, I want to um, say it wasn't until the twenty tens before people really said, Hey, this is probably stuff we shouldn't be doing. Yeah, yeah. This this has now become a slur, let's stop saying it. Yeah. yeah. Um right. but yeah, so we meet two deaf characters. One of them they make a point like this beautiful lady. Uh, who is super talented and can play music even though she's deaf, which you know, I know deaf people can't play music even though they're deaf. But again, just removing all of the things that make being deaf a challenge, you know, being or, or whatever. Like she basically suffers from none of it. Um, and then they introduce this other character. Um, I, he's not he's not deaf though. He's just talks that way no, when he he's is, nervous. No, he is deaf. One of the twins? Yeah. That's I why he talks swore, that way. No, because at the end, where after he kills Fisk, he talks normal, and he's like, what, what's that? He goes, I told you, I, that's what happens when I'm nervous, I talk that way. I don't think that guy's deaf. I'm pretty sure that guy's supposed to be deaf. Well, in any case, uh, they play him off with the R word a couple of times. Well, yeah. they they shoot him in the head, and then... It's funny because we were introduced to another character, but it's his twin brother, and they're right. so identical that he is also, in fact, bald and uses hemorrhoid cream. Um, I don't know. It's like a lot of this was, and and also once you get into like the kingpin stuff, and uh, you know, being fat and having a a, a learning disability or whatever mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's like and that's why i became a criminal and even then it's like uh you, you can you might have been able to play this inspirationally and be like despite all that i became a master criminal you know and it's like that would have almost been better um because then you know you don't have to you don't have to squeeze the kingpin into like our morality yeah. He he can be an amoral character that you're still like impressed by and interested in, but yeah, this this whole thing to me seemed very much like uh, very similar to how Daredevil circumvents the problems of being blind, Echo circumvents the problems of being deaf, mm -hmm. but the excuse is less there because this book was written what twenty years after. Uh, daredevil was first introduced so you know it's like people can research this even in the 90s people could have like talked to some deaf people or made oh, yeah. some calls or whatever or watch some documentaries like you know in the 90s like we already had cochlear implants and there's mm -hmm. always been like this big controversy in the deaf community about cochlear implants um mm -hmm. so it's like I know, I know this because even though I'm not deaf and uh, nobody in my family is deaf, like just through osmosis, like in the culture, you encounter deaf people and you see the issues that deaf people face. But this was this was not that 
this was just like what if what if Daredevil fought a guy who couldn't smell, right? Like this is mm-hmm. this is what what they're doing here, rather than like, hey, what if they're legit was a deaf character, which is what makes me hopeful about this Echo series. Like when Disney wants to, they can do some really good research and um, really touch on like important cultural things or important um, challenging things. Um, and then Coco makes me cry. So, <laughs> so I'm hopeful that maybe this Echo series is going to be approached as like, yeah, what if you I have mean, they, this like action character who's deaf in Hawkeye? I thought they treated the character fair because they use sign language. I thought so too. Yeah. And uh, they dealt with her Native American heritage. I thought fine, right? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think they probably will do fine with that. If uh, if anything, Disney does seem to be um, willing to hire what are they called sensitivity um, Sen- yeah, sensitivity, sensitivity consultants or whatever. Yeah. To, yeah. to come in and look at some of these things. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's good. I, I have high hopes for, uh, this series. Otherwise we wouldn't be talking about echo on, on the show. Um, I thought that this was, mm. I thought this was okay. I enjoyed it for what it was. Although I feel like, uh, if you read it the first time, you probably were like, oh yeah, this is, this is pretty cool stuff. But you know, 20, 30 years later, you're looking at this and going, oh, they've already picked apart this this carcass there's nothing there's nothing left for this book to to use anymore because you've you've already done it all so um yeah i want to see you know and again i haven't read all the other echo stuff so i don't know what they might be going for next but if you're wanting to know what happened to the kingpin at the end of hawkeye i think they answered in this in this book um yeah so i thought i thought this was fine uh, it's it's a very 90s book so go into it with that if you like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and you're okay with, with them, you're using a slur over and over and it's just like, well, that was the time period. It's going to be the same way when you read this book. Um, yeah. Not that, that that's an excuse or, you know, that you should give it a pass because of that, but it definitely was a different time when a lot of this stuff was was written. But, uh, you know, it's definitely a, a check it out. But I'm going to say if you've already seen Hawkeye or the Daredevil television series, there's n- there's nothing new in this book that you're going to, that you, that's a takeaway. You've already seen all, like I said, the best parts, Matthew, what about you? Well, <clears throat> three, three caveats. Uh, first, I do disagree with Steven, uh, in, in that the nineties are all the same. And the late nineties, especially <laughs> at Marvel has a tone that I just, I, I never liked, never got into, do not like second, uh, Daredevil is a very difficult character for me to get into simply because so many of his stories and so many of the writers and fans are about, okay, you know, this superhero, he's totally not a superhero. And we're going to take everything you know about a superhero and throw it out the window, but he's still going to wear a red costume with a chest yeah. emblem. And boots. And third, this art is not to my liking. I'm, you know, I don't want to be the guy who's like, let's go. I can't draw, but I've, I did not care for 90s Quesada. And this is some of the worst of 90s Quesada for me, where, uh, I mean, if you if you honestly go and you look at, you honestly sit and you look at Foggy Nelson in here, he looks like a wacky, waving, inflatable arm flailing tube man. 
with like a big shock of hair, like an anime character. So I didn't like this book when it came out. Uh, It was a big, expensive, popular comic. I was working in a comic store when this came out. And I did spend a year or two, you know, biting my tongue and going, oh, yeah, I've heard good things about that Daredevil run. You should totally buy it. So uh, on those grounds, I think that I can't say anything uh, without incriminating myself, but I did not care for this volume. And I feel like, you know, the best part of it is, you know, that issue with the guest artist and the focus on other stuff. That really is an example of what would have made this stand out. All right, there you go. That wraps it up for this issue. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for checking us out. If you found value in the show, of course, we would love for you to join us on our Patreon page where you can find even more fun, including the Major Spoilers podcast pre-show and, of course, the Major Spoilers VIP chat for December 2023, which is free for everybody. You can go in and take a listen to that to hear what's going on behind the scenes. And then, of course, you're going to be so moved that you will want to join us. The one that I will suggest that you sign up for is the $5 a month, the silver level membership. That's where you're going to get your best value, your best bang for your buck. You can find out more information uh, and sign up today at patreon.com slash major spoilers. What did you think of Daredevil parts of the whole head over to our discord server? Let us know what you thought. Everybody's going to uh, uh, share their thoughts and opinions. It's going to be a good time. Lots of good people over in our discord. So until next week, when we're going to be talking, taking a look at Tintin land of black gold. Remember, we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Bad Dick's revision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the hard cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a gang sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009 Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2010 Major Spoilers is copyright 2011 Major Spoilers is copyright 2012. Major Spoilers is copyright 2013. Major Spoilers is copyright 2014.
This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2018 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2019 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2022 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2023 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2024 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.